This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. It seems like everywhere we turn these days, we're seeing both uh, ads for Hillary Clinton more so than Donald Trump, but Donald Trump ads are out there as well. But what may be even more interesting is that the deluge of ads we normally see for candidates at this time of the year is actually less than we saw four years ago with Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Yes, even Hillary Clinton is spending less than President Obama did in his reelection campaign four years ago. So the question is, why is that? Michael Franz is an associate professor of government at Bowdoin College. He's also co-director at the Wesleyan Media Project. He joins us by phone, as does uh, Michael Rocca, who's an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of New Mexico. Michael Franz, Michael Rocca, great to have you both on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Thank you very much. As I mentioned, the ad spending numbers are lower. Why do we think so? Michael Franz, start with you. Well, there could be a couple of reasons for that. One reason is that the, the candidates themselves are probably two of the most well-known general election candidates in a long time, despite one of them being an, uh, despite neither of them being an incumbent. And so, therefore, it takes uh, less to uh, impress people with uh, information about them, or uh, the candidates realize that it's unlikely that they're able to move much of the numbers, uh, given how well-known they are. Uh, another reason is that uh, because the Trump campaign has chosen to not advertise Ties, uh, and uh, spend its money in other ways, uh, especially leveraging a lot of the free media coverage, the Clinton yeah. people have come to realize they don't need to spend as much to dominate the airwaves. And so I think both of those things uh, help us understand why the ad totals are lower. Michael Rocca? You know, it also might reflect to a certain extent uh, the... I don't say lack of competition might be a little strong because this is still it might go down to the wire, but 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 uh, Senator Clinton has been has been polling pretty well, particularly in some in some competitive states. And one thing that we know about congressional and presidential elections is that the more competitive the environment, the greater the fundraising and the greater the spending. So it might be a reflection of the general trend in in the uh, in the polling and general trend in the competitive environment of of the election. You, Michael Franz, you brought up a good point about the fact that obviously Donald Trump, with his persona, I think gets uh, an unbelievable amount of TV coverage, partly because he's not the traditional political candidate. Uh, and, and I think in, in some respects, and, and maybe this has come back to bite him a little bit, uh, he and his campaign are the mindset of any press is good press, which is, you know, it's a, it's a long-held theory in the industry, but not always one that works, and maybe not so this year in the political realm. Well, that's right. And, and one of the reasons why campaign ads are so attractive to candidates is that they get, it allows them to control the narrative a little bit. They can set the agenda, what issues they want to focus on, and they can set the spin and the frame on those, on those issues. And so it's very attractive for, for campaigns. And you see some of that in the Trump side with his aggressive use of, of Twitter in an attempt to sort of set the narrative or set the, uh, set the discussion in a particular way. But when you rely in a lot on media coverage, of your campaign as a way to spread your message and spread your um, your perspective on issues, then you also are subject to the whims and the interpretations of the media's discussion of that. And how, so, live by the media, die by the media. I suppose. How, how much impact do you think that there is from the the aspect of and it was something I was 
thinking about yesterday is that one of the narratives in the in this election is the fact that there are many, many millions of Americans that are kind of disenfranchised with government right now and, and the way that Washington has worked. And, and it made me wonder not whether or not in this particular campaign, because the disapproval ratings are so high, whether or not there would be a potential negative impact by spending more money on this instead of really focusing on you know, meeting with the people and, and, and pressing the flesh. And obviously both candidates do that. So I wonder if there could be a little bit of a negative where that is concerned. Michael Rocca? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one of the one of the things that President Obama and to a certain extent Mitt Romney did really well in 2008 is reach out, uh, I'm sorry, 2012, was reach out to some smaller donors. And that, right. particularly President Obama just did an incredible job at mobilizing small contributions. And, uh, and in order to do that, uh, you need to be able to reach individuals who, to a certain extent, don't don't feel disenfranchised, right? You need to be able to pull them into the political system, and and they need to, sh- in some way, show this level of efficacy and this and some sort of sentiment of, yeah, I can get I can get involved in this campaign. I feel good about this campaign, and that's what we're not we're not really getting that in 2016. In fact, if you look at the numbers, particularly on Hillary Clinton's side. A vast majority, I think I saw the number 55 to 60 percent of her, her contributions are coming from large donors. They're yeah. not coming from small donors. And I think that's a reflection of exactly what you're talking about, Dan, is that there's a general sentiment out there right now. And you can see it in the approval numbers of Congress. You can see it in, yeah. the, in the levels of trust and confidence in the system, is that we're at pretty much all-time lows here. And that's reflected in the types of individuals that are donating, and it's reflected in the types of individuals that are choosing to just not donate, right, to not reach into their pockets and give to the candidate. Michael Franz? I think that's right, and I think you know it's um, it's it's a, a good example of uh, the political environment that we're in, and it, it has meant that uh, candidates are a little bit more beholden to those larger those larger donors, and um, and there's less enthusiasm for both both campaigns. What well, well, it was interesting, I went uh, searching this morning, and I was obviously a lot has been made about the quote unquote battleground states, uh, places like New Hampshire and, and here in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And what's interesting is the spend that the candidates uh, are, are doing right now. And I, I took some numbers from, from Bloomberg Politics. New Hampshire, a state that has four electoral votes, which, you know, four electoral votes are important, but you wouldn't think of it as important as obviously a Texas or or a New York. Donald Trump is spending more than double. I mean, $191,000 for the week of October 11th in that state compared to Hillary Clinton for 82000 And it almost makes me wonder whether or not there are some mistakes being made in terms of the specific spend, where that money is being spent. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton is not spending a dime in Colorado this week, whereas Donald Trump is spending $90,000. Do you get a sense of, that that could be at play here as well? Michael Friends? Yeah, I mean, there's th- this will be something that's part of the postmortem after the election is over. Sort of where where did the uh, um, where did the candidates do well, or where did they lose on the margins, and then how much of the of the campaigns, how much money did the campaign spend at the end in those places? And so I've always thought that the sort of difference between being in, uh, a genius and an idiot is whether you win or lose. And so if if uh, if she wins uh, big and uh, or wins Colorado uh, and doesn't spend any money there, she's a genius, but if she loses on the knife's edge because uh, uh, she didn't spend any money there in the last week, then she's an idiot. So there's a lot of um, a lot of st- 
stuff that will have to be analyzed when the campaign is over. Yeah. And they're making strategic calculations. I mean, they're not operating in a vacuum. They're deciding based on the poll numbers they have and that they can see what's the best you know, uh, uh, the best impact we can get and the money that we're going to spend. And for that matter, can we draw a candidate away from the states that we think they need to be in by spending in other states? And so can, can Clinton spend in uh, Georgia uh, or in Texas, where some of the polls show things to be tighter, forcing Trump to devote resources to those places? And so there's a lot of strategy that's happening behind the scenes, but we don't necessarily know if it's, if it's good or if it's bad until the campaign is finally done. And, and I think, uh, uh, Michael, Raka, that one of the things that's interesting is that uh, also the spend doesn't necessarily have to be linked with the size of the state or the uh, or the number of electoral votes in there. It really does come down to a, a strategy of where you have the best opportunity to gain the ground. That's absolutely true. And actually, you're, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living in a state right now where that's actually a great example. The state of New Mexico has only five electoral college votes. But for a long time, it was gettable for both parties. Right now, it's leaning a little bit blue, um, and Colorado is swinging a little bit blue right above us. Uh, but, you know, we're not a large state, but we're a state that could tip the balance if it were to go. And, by the way, a lot of these calculations are made by, let's talk about, uh, you know, on Trump's side, is that there are particular states that he has to win in order yeah. to get to the magic number. And there are certain states that he, that he, it would be nice if he could win. So a state like New Hampshire, a state like New Mexico, in fact, last week we had Bernie Sanders on campus and then um, uh, Pence came through campus as well, uh, just just in the same week. And so there is a sense here that in New Me- that New Mexico, the five could be up for grabs. Polling seems to suggest that it's going to be blue, but but it's one of those states where just five electoral college votes could mean something at the very end. So you don't want to waste your money on in states that that aren't going to be you know that that you don't have a chance at, of course. Yeah. But but you definitely want to protect your backyard and you want to go after the states no matter how many electoral college votes are in that state that might be gettable. It is interesting, and we're uh, joined by Michael Friends of uh, Bowdoin College, uh, Michael Rocca of uh, University of New Mexico. Michael Friends, it's interesting that in the state of Maine, where you are, uh, four electoral votes, Hillary Clinton has a spent a dime uh, this you know this coming week. Donald Trump's spending like forty two thousand dollars in the state of the Maine. What's the sense uh, of the state right now where this presidential race is concerned? Well, this is one of the so Maine is one of those states. It's one of the only two states in the country where the electoral votes are allocated in part by who wins the state and, and also by who wins congressional districts. Right. And so we have two congressional districts. And so in Trump's case, he's, there's no chance he's going to win the first district of Maine, which is uh, pretty uh, pretty left and um, been dominated by Democrats. But the second district is a pretty moderate state, currently controlled by or um, represented by a Republican in the House, and that is a winnable electoral vote. He probably won't win the state, but if he did win the state, he'd add the second district vote to the state vote and get three of the four electoral college votes. And so this is the same exact example um, of some of these other small states like um, that have smaller vote totals, like New Hampshire or New Mexico, where you can get some electoral votes by um, going to the places in the state uh, or going to the state where um, it, it's close. And so he's spending money upstate, not downstate, and he's hoping that he can run up the total in the second district and take perhaps the entire state as well, even if he loses the, district, the first district. So there's a lot of strategy going into that. He's visited the state more times than we've seen campaigns visit the state of Maine in the last number of cycles. Yeah. Um, and it's all about those margins.
margins. If he's at 268 and he hadn't spent any money in the second district and missed the chance to pick up that extra vote or those two or three votes, then um, uh, that's going to cost him the White House. And what's the other state that you mentioned? It was two states, Maine, and what was the other Nebraska one? Nebraska is the other one. Okay, I was going to say because that ends up being a, a very important piece to, as you said, the reason for the ad spend in a particular spot is if you can split electoral votes and it's not just winner take all, that ends up being a, you know, potentially a very important uh, battleground spot that you need to try and focus on. I'll tell you the other state that's, that's fascinating uh, is Utah. Uh, right now, yeah. the, uh, the one of the third-party candidates, and I'm blanking on his name. Gentlemen, can you help me? Uh, it was Mc, independent. No, McMullen, because, and, yeah. and I'll tell you why, because he's a Wharton grad, and, oh. and, and, we're, and we're, we actually we're, we become very aware of him here. And, you know, the, uh, if, uh, the 538 website, Nate Silver's website, actually has a scenario playing out that if he wins Utah, that that could actually throw some turmoil. There's, there's a small percentage, there's a small chance that, that I mean, there, there's, it's actually looking pretty good for him in Utah, but, the, but there's a chance nationally that if he wins Utah, that neither one of them, depending on how the other states work out, could end up with a majority. So, so these smaller states really could make a difference, and Utah is a really fascinating example of that. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844 942 7866. If you'd like to join in and give us a comment, uh, we're talking about campaign ad spending. We're joined by Michael Friends of Bowdoin College and also uh, Michael Rocca of the University of New Mexico. Uh, Michael Rocca, I know you got to go. <laughs> you got class in a couple of minutes. I so, sure do. so, I mean, is it the expectation that we are going to see the levels uh, of ad spend? It markedly increased for both candidates over the last, uh, you know, 15 days or so before we get to the uh, get to the presidential election. You know what, Dan? I, that's certainly what you would you would expect in a normal electoral cycle. Um, the last two weeks of a campaign, you do see a spike, particularly in those battleground states. But uh, but I don't I you know it's this this election has been so strange in so many different ways I don't know I honestly don't know what to predict in the last two weeks I know one thing is that there's generally a tit for tat game that happens is that is that as one candidate spends and raises and and runs ads the other is likely to respond so as long as they have the money and as long as it's a relatively competitive environment um, my your guess is as good as mine when it comes down to the two weeks I would if this is a nor, you know a normal campaign it would be yes. So we would see a lot more ads coming out in the last two weeks. Uh, but, um, but it's hard to tell, to be honest with you. Go enjoy class. Thank you hey, very thank much. Thank you very much. Appreciate okay. it. We'll, Bye, conti- we'll continue with uh, Michael Friends of uh, Bowdoin College. Uh, by the way, Michael, i got to say, uh, this was also the first time that I've done an interview with two gentlemen with the same first name. So I, I appreciated having Michael Rock on, but it's nice to just have one mic that I can focus on for, for the for the next ten minutes. Well, that's and it's Michael's a very popular name, so well, well, ex- uh, it was bound to happen. Exactly. Uh, I'm, you mentioned obviously being up there in Maine, uh, another state up in New England where it's interesting for the ad spend, which I mentioned is New Hampshire, and that is not a state where where they split the vote. Yet Donald Trump, as I said, is spending almost two hundred thousand dollars there this coming week compared to Pennsylvania which 20 electoral votes and we've mentioned it on on this show and I've mentioned it with friends in this area this area here in Philadelphia it really is 
it, it's an important area. When you think about the suburbs of Philadelphia, where you have both areas that are controlled Republican, controlled Democratic, and I'm stunned. I really am stunned that Donald Trump is spending $200,000 this week in the state of New Hampshire and only 60-some-odd thousand dollars here in Pennsylvania in a state where right now it's about a five-point race if, if you go on the various polls. Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that does make a lot of sense and it's really hard to know what's underlying their strategy and and I would say that more generally, not necessarily knowing why they haven't spent more money on on political ads uh overall. Uh Trump likes to allude to this idea that sort of spending money on ads or or advertisements in general are sort of um, you know, uh, uh, silly wastes of money or something, but uh they are important to setting the narrative and they uh, would allow him if he had run a a positive ad campaign campaign, a predominantly positive ad campaign, to pair up with his more vitriolic tweets and media appearances, he right. could have triangulated pretty well uh, in, in pulling in some moderate or um, disaffected Democrats who really don't like Hillary. And he hasn't done that. And so it's hard to ascribe to his campaign a sort of logical, strategic sort of uh, sense of things. It almost seems as if they're making it up as they go along, and they're disdainful of traditional campaign strategies. And I think all of that stuff leads to his likely loss. But it, it, is it surprising to you? I, I would think it has to be that we are so far into this presidential campaign. And according to the numbers from Bloomberg, Donald Trump has spent $44 million on, on TV ads and Hillary Clinton has spent $157 million. I, I, I don't know the history behind this, but I would think that this has to be the widest disparity between one party and the other in terms of ad spending we may have ever seen. It absolutely is. It, it, it boggles the mind from a political scientist perspective. Uh, in, in 2012, we were talking about this somewhat similarly. Obama was was pummeling Romney for a while in the general yeah. election in terms of ad buys, but that gap was not nearly as wide as the gap we're seeing now. And we were puzzling over it back in 2012. Why isn't Romney um, uh, uh, matching Obama, you know, ad for ad? And why is he letting Obama set the narrative throughout the summer of 2012? This was sort of the, 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 the real puzzler back then. And now this is even just more baffling. And so uh, uh, we'll wait and see how it takes shape in, in future elections. I mean, some would like to suggest that the, the TV ad spending in general is likely we might have tipped off the, the cliff as um, as the, the toolbox uh, becomes deeper for campaigns and, and the outreach is happening online and and, and digitally and other ways. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but in terms of having a billionaire run for president of the United States and not be able to match or not want to match his opponent ad for ad just seems uh, just seems to boggle the mind. Well, it, w- it was was the Obama campaign four years ago against Mitt Romney. I think the number that the total amount that he spent was upwards of two hundred and fifty million dollars uh, that he spent on ads during uh, during that campaign. I, I, I'm guessing that's probably the, the record high in terms of a, a presidential run. Correct. It is. I'd have to go back and look at uh, that versus 2008, but either right. 2008 or 2012 is the is the record uh, ad buy for a for a campaign. Um, you know, probably in the in the history of the universe. Uh, 
Um, and, and some of that comes out of the fact that earlier presidential cycles, the campaigns were tied to the public funding model, right. which they abandoned in 2008, or Obama did. And so now, we, we, you know, one would imagine or one would expect to see the, the campaigns continue to spend more and more and more every election cycle. Um, but this has been slightly different. There, there's also another thing that I, I wanted to bring up, and it's actually something I thought about over the weekend. I'm, I'm taking my kids to a variety of, variety of soccer games on Saturday. And in, as I mentioned, the suburbs of Philadelphia are very important to winning the state of Pennsylvania. And it's been mentioned, you know, parts of it are, are very much Republican. Parts of it are very much uh, Democratic, at least in the parts that I saw. I saw a lot of Donald Trump signs, you know, signs that people would put mm-hmm. in their yard. And, and it makes me wonder whether or not a campaign would make a bigger investment in that to get that that specific type of pull. And I'm sure the Clinton campaign does it in, in various parts of the, of the country as well. You know, if candidates invest in the signage at times more so than they do in the in the actual TV buy. Well, you know, it's it's uh, that could be, and there isn't a lot of research on on this. There isn't a lot of research on the effects of of um, uh, public signage on on voter turnout or mobilization, uh, in part because it's just one of those things that's hard to measure. But right. um, but abs- I mean, you know, everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows sort of his general demeanor, and so uh, one one strategy would be to to demonstrate the enthusiasm for the Trump campaign by blanketing places with Trump signs. Uh, and so that certainly could be, you know, one 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 model um, that would shift the resources away from the traditional television. Well, and um, and it also made me wonder whether or not, when the whole video controversy came up a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. whether or not he actually may have had ad spend planned, and he actually slowed it down because that was such the overwhelming story at that time. Uh, and and it it may have been, you know, a situation where if he had done a lot of ad spend in that five to six days afterwards, if, if it would have been wasted money at that point. It, yeah, that's definitely possible. I mean, an- another argument would be uh, that, you know, he could have used that opportunity to cut an ad where he spoke in a positive way about, um, you know, his attitude towards women or to yeah. his, his policy proposals towards, you know, uh, pay equality, or he could have spoke to the camera and explained, you know, his, his, uh, you know, his, his perspective on things and crafted a sort of positive spin. You know, one of the arguments against someone like John Kerry in 2004 was that he didn't respond to the swift boat attacks. He sort of let them go or let his surrogates take it on, and he should have aired a, a very forceful ad defending his service. And this, you know, has become a conventional wisdom that when you're attacked and when you're up against the ropes, what you should do is use your resources to respond and to address those things head on. And he could have done that, but he didn't do that. And I, I mean, I, again, I don't know if it's strategy or if it's just uh, stupidity. Uh, I'll, I'll finish up with you with the same question I finished up with Michael Rocca. Is it your expectation that, that we may see the candidates even ramp up the, the amount of spend that they have here in the last uh, week and a half? I, I think we will see that, and traditionally, that's Michael is actually right, absolutely right that we actually have seen uh, across election cycles uh, a real increase in ad spending at the very end. That's when people are paying most attention. It's also when undecideds obviously are making up their mind, um, and at, we know ad effects don't last very long, and so any ads being spent in September have long lost their impact. So the end makes sense. Plus, you also have campaigns that, if they don't have a whole bunch of debt, are going to have a lot of money, and they don't want to leave a lot of that money on the table, right. such that if they lose, the narrative will be that they 
you know, wasted a chance to, to make a final appeal. So, uh, again, that would be the sort of traditional approach, and I, I think we'll see that. We've already heard some rumblings that the Trump campaign has increased its ad spending and is likely to in the next week or so, and I haven't seen any of the data, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see. Um, but again, I mean, this is a, this is a strange election, and, and anything could happen. Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Michael Franz from uh, Bowdoin College up in Maine, Associate Professor of Government there. Uh, joining us earlier, Michael Rocca from the University of New Mexico, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.